Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This time on Vet Story. Do you think it's gone too far with respect to the roughing the passer rule? Is these men are so big and this game happens so fast that... You really have to be in the arena and be on the field. Operation Iraqi Freedom, we were the second wave that went in. You know, things were going okay, and then uh, about the first uh, first month that we were in there, we lost an aircraft, and, uh, and that's when the hostilities really started to, to pick up. I mean, when it becomes a two-way range, it's, it's obviously a little bit different story. I just uh, had the opportunity to provide close air support for, for the guys on the ground. You know, the problem with last year's game, Coach, was you guys went with the 10th Mountain uniforms, and I don't think we could see you. <laughs> yeah, camouflage. Whether it's in the Army or in the, in, the, in the football world and here at the highest level at the NFL, you know you're still dealing with people. You're still mentoring, coaching, and teaching. Welcome to another episode of Vet Story. I'm your host, Phil Briggs, a Navy veteran and a proud football fan. Now, in the interest of full disclosure, I'll tell all my friends in, say, Dallas, Texas, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, San Francisco, California. <laughs> I'm a Washington Redskins fan and damn proud of it. So I've been looking around the league to find military veterans on the ball field. And I happened to find one on the roster of my very own Redskins team. A former player, but most importantly, a former AH-64 Apache combat helicopter pilot. He's seen action in Iraq. He's seen action in Bosnia and South Korea. And he sees the action every Sunday from the sidelines in the NFL. Coach Ben Kawika, special teams coordinator for the Washington Redskins. Welcome to Vet Story, Coach. Really glad to talk to you. Thanks for having me, Phil. How are you? Outstanding. And as we were just chatting there, uh, you know, don't hold it against me. I'm Navy, but I, we, we get a rematch this year, and, and, and we're going to come at you strong. I don't think we're going to lose three years in a row to the Army-Navy game. Well, well, it's like the Zen master said, we'll see. It's been a, been a good battle the last couple of years, and <laughs> it's just a tremendous uh, rivalry, and it's, it's a really special football game that uh, – 
that I was I was very very fortunate to be a part of for a handful of years. Yeah, and before we get into your service background, before we get into the NFL, before we get into all things with uh, you know the Redskins, let's chat quickly. Tell me when did you play? Sure, I um, I played from uh, 1993 through 97. So I graduated uh, from West Point in 97. From there on, you went on to become a lieutenant and second lieutenant and first lieutenant. Had a storied career and a great time in the Army. Tell me a little, just a couple highlights from your time in the Army. Yeah, so uh, after I left West Point, I was uh, commissioned. I, I ended up picking aviation as my branch. Uh, I actually coached at the prep school for six months because I, I really love the game, and Coach Sutton thought I had an aptitude for it, so I did that, and then I went to flight school, and um, I was a Fort Bragg guy for a few years. We did a tour in Bosnia. Uh, when that was going on in 2000, came back to the States, got into a new aircraft, which was the uh, Apache, the uh, 64 Delta uh, model. So we had a transition there. And then I uh, went out to Korea for a short period of time, 13 months. And then uh, that was in 2003. So that's when the war hit. Came back to the States, uh, went to Fort Hood, Texas, uh, became a company commander, and then headed out to Iraq uh, uh, in 2004, 2005. So um, served there for uh, for a little over a year and then uh, came back to the States and, and got into this coaching business. Man, so cool. Um, yeah. I, before, you know, and dare I say so cool and leave out the NFL, because I think to most people that listen or most people that would be Americans would think, you know, being on the field in an NFL game any given Sunday has got to be the biggest thrill. But as a Navy guy, as a veteran first, I got to say, that's amazing flying those AH-64 Apaches. Um, what's it like laying fire down from one of those? I mean, when you're in there and you're hitting well, the trigger, does it? <laughs> does it? Because I was on a carrier, so when things went boom for us, they were so far off in the distance we didn't even get the feel, except when they took off and landed. But what was yeah, it like to be yeah, in that, that Apache? Uh, yeah, in, in that helicopter, in that airframe, in that environment in Iraq, uh, it's a little bit more up close and personal than uh, than probably an aircraft carrier. But, um, yeah, you know, you, I, I was in for eight years, and, and really the first six years, you know, that's, uh, you know, a lot of training and such, and, you know, even out in Korea. But when you get out into Iraq there, uh, um, Operation Iraqi Freedom, we were the second wave that went in. With the first cavalry division, I mean, when it becomes a two-way range, it's it's obviously a little bit different story. Uh, so, um, uh, yeah, I just uh, had the opportunity to provide close air support for for the guys on the ground, and you know that's that's really the way that I looked at it is is supporting the ground troops out there. Um, and that was a that was a huge part of the mission, and uh, it was uh, it was really. Uh, uh, really um, a great experience to be able to work with the, the men and women in uniform and to provide the, the air support that the ground guys needed. So, um, yeah. yeah, it was kind of like a, uh, a 1 o'clock Sunday kickoff um, for, for a long period of time. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, it has to be a sustained gut rush, just adrenaline pumping when you come up over the horizon and you can see, you know, the – a part of the battlefield that you're meant to support. I mean, that's just got to be an absolute thrill. Yeah, and the dynamics over there during that time were up and down. You know, when we 
you know, not to give a history lesson, but when we yes, relieved, when we relieved the first Ar- or first armor division, you know, the the, the, the op tempo there was down a little bit. You know, it was a, a stability operation, and really, there was a period of time where there were there were lulls. You know, it was a period of time where you know things were going okay, and then uh, about the first uh, first month that we were in there, we lost an aircraft, and uh, and that's when the hostilities really started to, to pick up. So it was a it was a little bit of a roller coaster ride. Uh, uh, up and down, and it was a very, very dynamic and unpredictable uh, environment at that time. Mm-hmm. Well, we thank you for everything you've done, and uh, certainly, you know, we know the challenges that you faced over there were not easy. So, uh, just, a, just an incredible story. To yeah, share. Phil, Phil I, w- I would say, yeah, the challenges weren't easy, but I, but I'll tell you what, I was very, very fortunate to have an outstanding group of uh, men and women that I worked with, uh, uh, my my commanders. Um, they, they were they were excellent. They were tremendous leaders. Uh, the, the the men that I worked for, and then the company commanders that I worked with, uh, who are now doing bigger and better things. Uh, just just a, a great group of of men and women uh, that wore the uniform, and and that that eased the challenge and and made the the mission uh, much much more rewarding. Right on. And every question I have to ask my army brethren is, what's harder, landing a helo in high winds, or you think landing a plane on a ship? <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you can fly the helo in high winds, you've probably accomplished the first task, and then just to get it on the ground is the more important task. So I'll, I'll take uh, I'll take the helo in the high winds. Okay, right on. But I w- but I would like one day to try to fly one, or to, to land one of those those aircraft on a on a on a ship. That 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 thing would be kind of neat as well. Yeah, I would just pick a sunny, warm day with still water. That's what I would say. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's plenty of those days out there, right? Right on. Hey, now transitioning to the NFL. How the hell we go from being in the world's greatest army to the NFL? Yeah, just coming out of Iraq in 2005, um, you know, finished company command and was was trying to sort through some things as far as what direction and really had a love for football. And uh, I kept in contact with coaches who had uh, coached me through the years. Um, Bob Sutton, who's now the defense coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs, was instrumental and got in touch with Bobby Ross. And he sent me an email, actually, as I was uh, transitioning out. I was out in in Doha out there and um, got an email, said, hey, would you be interested? And uh, it ended up working out. So when I got back to the States, I spent about three months in transition, and then um, before you know it, I was back at West Point coaching for a few years. So uh, that was my first step back into football, uh, coaching back up uh, for Army. And then uh, two years later, Coach Sutton called again, and he was the defensive coordinator for the Jets, and they were looking for a guy to help out do the quality control work. And that was my introduction into the league. And believe it or not, 12 years later, I'm, uh, I'm still doing it. How did the military shape your coaching style or your mentoring style? Because you're dealing with a radically different kind of personality here. You know, a high-level athlete versus a high-level soldier. Um, what's helped you coming out of the military? Yeah, I, I think whether it's in the Army or in the in the in the football world and here at the highest level at the NFL, you know, you're still dealing with people. You're still mentoring, coaching, and teaching, you know, and I think that um, you deal with a vast spectrum of individuals. You know, when I was a company commander, I, I was in charge of, uh, you know, 19, 20 year old privates and, uh, uh, crew chiefs that were working on aircraft as well as, you know, 35, 30, you know, 35, 40 year old warrant officers that had been in the army, uh, a heck of a lot longer than shoot some of them than I'd been alive, you know, so you have a wide spectrum. And it's the same thing here in the NFL, but at each, at each 
spot, whether it's the Army or in the NFL, you're dealing with people that are highly competent and at the highest level of their craft. And uh, here, um, here it's 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 really cool to work with such great athletes and, and really good young men that that want to accomplish a mission. And um, you know, whether it's in the Army or in the NFL, you you, you got to take a group of individuals and bring them together to accomplish a common goal. So um, that that challenge that that challenge you know here in the NFL each week um, is one that that you look forward to. And you know the NFL is such a competitive league um, that you know you're really facing a new opponent. You know you are you're facing a new opponent each week. So you're game planning and figuring out what your battle plan is going to be and. And you're you're selling that battle plan to a group of soldiers or you know players to go out and accomplish the mission. So I think those are some of the parallels and some of the things that make it very, uh, very rewarding. That's fascinating because I would have thought for sure you'd say it's harder to motivate an NFL player than it would have been a younger soldier because with the NFL players you're dealing with money and success and you know a lot of them are kind of used to winning or they come from you know great programs like Alabama and Michigan and Texas and you know these great big schools. But uh, yeah, here's what I would share with you there though. For these men to get to this level, um, there there are a lot of self-starters in that group. Um, you know, you you just can't. Uh, you know, talent will get you to a certain certain to a degree, but to in order to play for one of the thirty-two, uh, you, you've got to be a self-starter in your own right. So, um, you know, I think that as a coach, you know, one of the things that that you really try to do is what the player is looking for is, hey, how can I, how can me as a coach help them? And that's what I think I try to instill into them. Hey, listen, if you use this technique, hey, if we use this scheme, hey, if we use this fundamental, it's going to help you at the individual level, which in turn is going to help us at the collective level. So um, that's that's what you, as a coach, that you're really trying to instill into them and instruct into them. Hey, listen, if you do this, uh, it's really going to help you. And it's really rewarding when you're able to impart that instruction and see it pay off uh, on Sundays. Yeah, and certainly the payoff on Sundays would be great. And I know everybody strives for the big payoff, and that is making it to the playoffs and going all the way to get the ring. And, uh, you know, we wish you the best there. Uh, with respect to sports, with respect to how the game has changed, talk to me a little bit about how you think the, the rules, like the rule changes, have affected the game. Um, I've seen a lot of missed kicks this year, a lot of after points, like a lot of point afters that you think are just a, a guarantee, you know, just an ace. Yet I've seen a lot of them miss or hit the upright. Uh, has there been a change in the way the game is structured that, that that's causing that? Well, I, I think to your first point in regard to some of the kicks, um, you know, sometimes we, we take the, these guys are, you know, many of these athletes and what I deal with as specialists specifically are so good at their craft, we take a 45-yard field goal for granted, you know, and um Sometimes, you know, those things happen. So I don't know specifically about, you know, missing some PATs or field goals, which which happened this past weekend. You know, rules have changed that. But I do say that the, the rules have made the game safer. Just, just being out on the sidelines, it feels like a safer game. And for us specifically in the special teams world is we modified the kickoff formation and the kickoff return formation to keep the play in and make it safer. Now, I don't know what the data is going to suggest, 
Um, but I just feel that it's a safer play. Um, mm. So that that is one thing that we worked on in the off season, special teams coaches with the league and some head coaches in the competition committee to make a refinement there where we're keeping a play in that is still exciting. There's been a couple of kickoff returns for touchdowns, but yet keeping the play safer. So the important thing is the constant communication to to um, to make the make that make the game safer. So that's where I think is, and I think that's the important thing is the game is going to continue to evolve. It always has, um, but it's still a fantastic game that's very very exciting each and every weekend. That's cool. Are they practicing on the Division One level the same way that you guys are trying to get the tackling style to work in the NFL? Like in other words, are they already coming to you with the knowledge and the and the fundamentals on how to wrap up and how to get that shoulder to the waist instead of risking any incidental helmet to helmet contact? Well, I think that the NFL and the colleges and the high schools are in constant communications on various techniques. You know, we have college coaches and high school coaches in the offseason here all the time. So that that dialogue is continuing. Um, So you do see the players that come to us from the college level, um, you know, talking a little bit different in the techniques that they're using in regard to tackling specifically. So I I just think it's still an evolution, right? And that's going to continue to... Uh, to occur as we move forward. But I, I just feel like those rule changes that, that have been, again, there's going to be, anytime there's change, there's there's going to be some some rough edges in anything that you do. And so I think the important thing is just uh, continuing to refine it to uh, to make this game exciting and, and to keep it safe. Right on. Last football-related question. And, uh, yep. um, you know, a guy coming down the field, wind beneath his sails, and he's got a lot of running room to be able to tackle somebody on a kickoff is one thing. Do you think it's gone too far with respect to the quarterback and the roughing the passer rule? One thing I would share with you is, is these men are so big, and this game happens so fast that um, – in order to have an appreciation for it, you really have to be in the arena and be on the field. So I think that when we look through this lens of HDTV and multiple replays, it's easier to make that critique or criticism on a call or something. But when it happens on the field, having been there for 12 years, I can tell you that it's it's not an easy job. Uh, I would also suggest to you that Again, it's just a um, a change that's occurring. So I think that that you know, in regard to tackling the quarterback, you know, we we want to make the game safe. We want to keep that player safe. Um, yet, um, you, you just got to keep keep evolving and having this dialect. And we do that. We get that from the NFL officials as such with uh, the videos that we get. So we have a continued dialogue with the NFL office and. Um, you know, you're just trying to trying to make the play, make 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 the game you know exciting and, and to keep it safe. And um, one of those is keeping that that player that that holds the ball on every play, the quarterback, uh, in the game because you know the game is more exciting when you have an Aaron Rodgers and a Tom Brady, you know, and those were those great players um, staying safe and being in the game. Staying safe, being in the game, that's uh, all part of it. And the game is what we love to watch every Sunday. Coach, I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much for the for the for for being first placed NFC East Washington Redskins. <laughs> Let's hope oh, we yeah. hang on to that for the weeks to come because I've been a fan since since Riggins. So uh yeah. well Phil, listen, I appreciate the the, the time and, and again I, I appreciate you having me and I just 
would like to end with uh, telling you how much I, I have really enjoyed, um, you know, coaching here in the, in the National Football League. But more importantly, also is is when I was a member of the the Armed Services and and uh, had the opportunity to work with the Sons and Daughters of America. They're they're they are great people that are providing the freedom and the ability for me now to coach in this league. And uh, for all the service members out there, I just I just want to say thank you for what you're doing. It is does not go unnoticed and it is tremendously tremendously appreciated and that's why we were glad to have you on vet story coach thank you very much thank you okay phil have a good one sir and that my friends is game over if you have a story that you'd care to share or you got tickets to a football game you can feel free to email me phil at connectingvets.com. In the meantime, I'll be searching from the ball field to the battlefield to the bar stool for the next episode of Vet Story. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.